Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by, well, doing something different. We're going to end 2019 with our first uh, dual recording in the 41 episode history of Tartan Talks. Joining us is Jason Straka of Fry Straka Global Golf Course Design and Kent Turner, the superintendent at Kenwood Country Club in Cincinnati, Ohio. We spent a day on site with Jason and Kent as Kenwood goes through some changes to its Kendale course. On this podcast, we're going to focus on the relationship between the architect and the superintendent and why that relationship can determine success on a project like the one going on at Kenwood. But before we get going with Jason and Kent, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. It's been nearly three years since Better Billy Bunker came on board and we're glad that they decided to throw their support behind this project. We've had a lot of great guests in the 41 episodes, and we are looking forward to having more guests as we move forward. So a big thank you to Better Billy Bunker for supporting this. Better Billy Bunker is a huge supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, and Better Billy Bunker is also a giant supporter of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have them on board, and we're glad that we were able to spend a day with Jason and Kent at Kenwood Country Club. This is a unique Tartan Talks episode. We're in... Kent Turner's office at Kenwood Country Club. Kent is the superintendent, and we're with Jason Straka, the architect. We've never done a Tartan Talk with the superintendent and the architect involved. So first off, thanks to both of you for joining us and taking some time. We just toured the project, Kenwood Country Club, and it's going to be awesome. But Jason, uh, you're an Ohio-born golf course architect. You built your business in Columbus. What does it mean to come down here to Cincinnati and do this project? First off, Guy, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Uh, it's exciting to, to do a Tartan Talks with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great to be able to work in the state of Ohio, uh, you know, the hometown, if you will. These opportunities are far and few between anymore. So, uh, you know, rather than jetting across the world, be able to take, you know, and work on such a special and unique project uh, with some great Midwestern people uh, has been an awesome experience for Dana and I. Um, you know, we're right in the middle of the project, at least in the construction aspect of it. So we've got, you know, another six, seven months to go. Um, but we're looking forward to, you know, really having a lot of people here enjoy the work for de literally decades. Yeah. Well, Kent, uh, the first superintendent ever to come on a Tartan Talks podcast. This is this is pretty awesome. But for you, I mean, this started in the middle of August 2019. What, what has it been like the last three months uh, working with Jason and seeing this project get started? Be kind now. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me be the first superintendent in the architecture talk. But uh, it's been a privilege. Uh, we've talked earlier, and I said this was my third architect that I've worked with. Uh, and while I feel you know, inexperienced in that aspect, you know, I, I don't know what the average architect that a superintendent gets to work with. I, I have to assume it's less than one, like a point seven ish. So. But this has been the best so far. The interaction that we've had has been great, and and the sort of camaraderie and the talking through things, and and the saying, "Are you okay with this?" and and yes, or, and I've even said, "Well, let let's stretch it to here." And he said, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And I said, "Yeah. If it makes it better, let's let's do it. If it makes the golf better or the experience better, let's do it." So it's it's been great from day one. So there's some events where. Um golf course architects and golf course superintendents maybe meet at. I mean, sometimes at the golf industry show, they'd run into each other, the Ohio Turfgrass Foundation's event, events. But how, how did you two meet, Jason? 
actually, I think that it was interviewing here, Correct. was it not? So mm -hmm. that would be the first time that we've met. Now, I've come to respect Kent so much, you know, what he does not only here at the club, but also within the industry. As I transitioned off the board of the Ohio Turfgrass Foundation, so I recommended that Kent come onto the board uh, and take my place. So traditionally, the way that OTF operates is that if you were in the golf part of the business, if the, tra if the president transitions off, that you'd bring in another person from golf or from sports fields or, you know, vice versa type of thing. So, you know, Kent's on the board right now and assume the leadership position within the state. Um, but yeah, that was but our first time that we'd met was actually during the interview process here. What was that like? You don't have to give away specifics, but what is it like when your club's getting ready to do a project, getting to meet all these architects? What are some things a superintendent likes to know about an architect when... Well, I was privileged to work with the committee, that the selection yeah. committee for the architect, and, and I was given some homework to do, and one of the members got a list of guys that were close yeah. by and said, you know, we, we probably want someone close. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that tra travel's pretty easy. Not, let's not limit ourselves to that. And But we'll, we'll work from this list, and we'll add a few names to it. And so I called around to some contractor people that I know and compiled a list of... Uh, I asked them the question of... I've worked with a few architects, and you know, I, I think the person that would fit with this club would would sort of be in the middle of as far as uh, you know, taking a great deal of pride in their work, but working with the club and listening to the club and looking into what the club wants and needs. So then, after that list, we the committee narrowed it down, and it, it, we brought in a few people, and it just so happened that it was great. It, Jason was right up the road. During the interview process, he sort of shined uh, over what the other guys did, and we selected him. I'm going to ask each of you the same question. But first, from your perspective, Jason, what does a golf course architect want and need in a golf course superintendent to pull off a successful project? Want and need. Those mm -hmm. are two different things, right? I. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that just as much as <laughs> people want, you know, architect to be, you know, have some flexibility. I mean, right. it's it's the same thing. You know, uh, we spent some time earlier talking just, you know, how ambitious that Kent and his staff, you know, are. And so first off, taking pride in the work and wanting to make it better, um, you know, and having that relationship and talking through things, you know, is uh, is a tremendous asset. So, again, he takes on a lot of work, you know, he... You know, we we talk through things. You know, I listen. He listens. A lot of times, you know, it um, we'll find middle ground. You know, to where it's the you know the best for the project. You know, I think that I know that you know it's not what's best for Jason or Dana or what's best for Kent. You know, it's we're striving to make what's best for the club. Yeah. And we still have you know that's the that's the goal. And if we're working together, you know, to reach that goal, you know, then that relationship is a lot easier. Yeah. What does the uh superintendent want and need in the architect that was part of the interview process was that you know i i knew the club kind of needed someone to push them yeah. and have the confidence to tell them what they need and and the fry Strika global golf design has a system in place where they really get the membership involved and that that works in two ways one it sells things that need to be done mm -hmm. you know 
uh, if you know you think the turf's bad in an area and there's trees there, then you, you've you've said what needs to be done from the membership standpoint. But it it also sells other changes that need to be done. You know, when we were out there, we spent a lot, a good portion of our day looking at that fourth hole because that's a sight line cut. Well, the membership was sort of of the thought that we needed bunkers, we needed uh, new irrigation, and some drainage, and that was it. But the, the selling point of, hey, while we're tore up, if we do these other things, then you have a whole different level of golf course. And that's what we were sort of looking at in the interview process and looking for. And so that's what I was looking for. you know. And, and not someone that said, you need to do this, you need to change this, and, and don't you know, you you go to banking and or you go to dentistry and and don't step in, but listen to the membership and got them engaged so that almost like they were making it their idea and sold it that way and and the member we got got the membership a hundred percent on board or seventy nine point yeah. seven whatever the approval rating was so yeah. I also what's important you know, with that is that. You've got to, you know, you have to engage the membership. You have to listen, but they're also hiring you for your expertise too. You know, that's the reason why they have, you know, Kent, you know, here as well, you know, with expertise. And so I also think that, you know, in some instances, you know, clubs get told maybe what they want to hear, not what they need or should hear. So, uh, you know, now at the end of the day, it's, you know, club's decision whether they do certain pieces or parts of the project or the whole project. You know, we get that. But we're, you know, listen, we're, we're confident in what we do. I mean, Kent's confident in what he does. I'm confident in what I do. I'm confident, you know, with Dana and, and how we interact and what the product that we can bring to the club. And so, you know, we tell them, like, listen, you know, if you truly want to have, you know, this level or quality of a golf course or, you know, this is what's going to make the hole better, you know, then we tell them that. And sometimes it's not a comfortable conversation. You know, sometimes they don't want to necessarily even want to hear it. But at the end of the day, you know, 99.9% of the time, they appreciate that you told the truth. Kent, how much... Do you pay attention to golf course architecture? Was it something you, you, you studied and, and wanted to learn about before this project? I, I listen to a lot of <laughs> golf course architecture podcasts. Well, there are a lot of them out there. there, are a lot of them out there. So I've given up on music, and I solely listen to golf course architecture podcast that's, i get quizzed and i don't even know i don't even know half the things he's listening to. But, but that's a great point a, a superintendent could self-educate him or herself there's so many resources out there with golf course architecture correct yeah. but now i i can say it's pretty recent you know like mm. i i've ha had an interest not to be one mm. but to to kind of see different styles and and i kind of know what i like to see and what courses wow me and what my top five course list is so i can't say that i've always had an interest i wish in my career i would have and i think it's important for new guys coming out to take an interest in it very early on and not to wait 10 or 15 years in like i did uh but from the last project i we did or i did in 04 uh that's what it really ramped up because one, it was my first big interaction with an architect. It made me realize how much of that goes on, you know, not just the small portion that I lived in. And then working with the 
third architect. You just see this, how much, how unique each of them are, and and how how different they are, and and how important it is to know how to work with one. And you know, when you only get point seven in a career, that's that's tough to do. But uh, being able to work with an architect makes a project a lot better. How cool is it to work with a superintendent that? listens to golf course architecture podcasts and has a, an enthusiasm for it. I like it because there's a much greater level of understanding. So when we start to talk not only about architectural lingo, but just about, you know, strategy or, you know, we talk about greens restoration and you know, putting different angles of play back in, restoring those things. He becomes an enormous advocate, you know, on behalf of that. Not an advocate on behalf of me, but on on the principle that you're trying to you know, restore or you know, create it at the at the club or in the golf hole. So you know, a lot of times you know, they know him, they trust him. He's been here you know a lot longer than I have been. So you know, I'll tell somebody the club or the decision makers, you know, and then it's automatically like, well, that's interesting, Kent. What do you think? But having that level of understanding, you know, that he has, you know, again, he becomes that he's that advocate for it. It makes the things a lot easier. Bill Diddle is the original architect here at Kenwood Country Club. Unfortunately, I don't think we've ever mentioned his name on a Tartan Talk podcast. Jason, how undersung is he, and what did he mean to the, the game of golf? Well, so he, well, to me a lot, because he was a founding member of American Society of Golf Course Architects, you know, ASGCA, you know, of which I'll be the president and 75th president in two years. So, you know, it's continuing what part of what he established, you know, 75 years ago. Uh, so, you know, being a part of ASGCA and a part of what he started is, you know, it's really unique and is really special. It's also that, you know, he was from Indiana and Indianapolis and uh, was an accomplished golfer, accomplished basketball player. But, you know, if you learn more about his life, he was sort of a good old Midwestern boy. Um, you know, and so those principles, being from Ohio and being from the Midwest, those are life values, I guess, that I subscribe to as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people, it's sort of the unsung hero people like him and, you know, one of my mentors and Mike Hurdsons and Dana Fry's, Jack Kidwell, you know, there's a lot of people that they play a lot of their golf courses, but they don't you know, necessarily know a lot about the man. Kent, what did you know about Bill Diddle before you took the job here at Kenwood? Nothing. And what have you learned about Bill Diddle since just those in things. your five years at Kenwood? Just those things right there, but also he had a big impact on Pete Dye. Yeah. So if, if he was the guy that made Pete Dye interested in golf course architecture, that's an enormous impact on American golf. I mean, almost as much as anybody yeah. that you could say had an impact on American golf. Yeah. So you're both from Ohio. You're both from Northeast Ohio. Uh, first off, Kent, explain your journey to the job you're at now. Why did you get into this business? Not by my wanting, but uh, <laughs> I haven't looked back. Uh, I started out caddying at a club, and I kind of wanted that... Uh, uh, when the college kids that worked in the bag room, they had that easy street job. When they went back to school, I saw some openings there, and I asked one of the assistant golf pros if you know they needed some help because they were a little short, and some guys went back, and he said, yeah, let me look into it, and, and I'll get back with you. And I went back to Caddy a couple of days later, and he said, hey, I got you a job. You start on the ground screw on Monday. And I said, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait a second. That, that's kind of not what I wanted. 
you know, it looks like those guys work. I kind of want this. And on my first day, uh, we were I was laying sod and picking up sod and moving it and laying it somewhere else. And some guys, there were some college kids there, and I didn't know any better. It was my first day. They were rolling these sod rolls real big, and I was putting them up in the cart and moving them and laying it. And then they'd roll one a little bit bigger. And I'd pick it up and put it in the cart, and they're laughing. And I'm like, damn, these things are getting awfully big. And then they laughed and said, no, they're supposed to be this big, you know. Not that doesn't work for radio, but... Uh, you should have seen how far uh, Kent held his hands apart. Couple, so, couple yards. But from that, I just fell in love with it from that point. And I wasn't sure about it from a career standpoint because I worked for a guy that, you know, sort of made it sound like a miserable yeah. job. Uh, you know, it was always the members are complaining about this, the members are complaining about that. and and But then I went and worked at the Kent State University golf course where I was going to school, and the guy loved it there. And uh, so I said, you know what, maybe this is a good career, and I don't really have anything inside that I like as a major wise so maybe I'll give this a shot and and it's been a journey from there and Jason what's your background oh gosh well and so I started working well first off I started playing golf when I was probably five or six years old and my family all plays and introduced me to the game uh, so then from a career standpoint I worked at Avalon uh, northeast Ohio just outside of Warren uh, you know, my father actually had even worked there for a while during the summers, and so started off on the ground screw there, uh, always with the intent that I enjoyed the architectural aspect of it. But I knew full well that, you know, if we were going to, if I was going to do design work at some point later in my life, you know, that I better have an understanding of how it gets maintained. So, and I was fortunate that we did a lot of in-house projects because, you know, frankly, we didn't have a lot of money. And so, you know, we built a lot of bunkers, we created ponds, we put in our own irrigation system. So, you know, I think there was a question that you had asked before, you know, about being maybe at a wealthier, you know, well-to-do club, you know, where you bring in outside people to do all of that work, um, you know, rather than being more ambitious than their own staff. It was We were forced to do that. But it also forced us to be very creative, and it forced me as a young age to learn how to do all those things. So it was great, you know, hey, you know, do a sort of figure it out. This is what it's going to be, figure it out. Then I went off to school and, you know, studied at Cornell University and was mentored under Tom Doak and Gil Hands. Um, of course, Robert Trent Jones, you know, went to school there. Uh, and then I stayed, I got my master's degree in agronomy and environmental design. Um, met Dr. Norm Hummel, who was one of the leading soil scientists in the industry. He ended up becoming my um, advisor for my graduate degree. And then it also introduced me to Mike Hurdson. So that's how I got to meet Mike. And so I was probably, I don't know, 18 or 19 when I met Mike and had you know built a relationship up with Mike. And he helped me out with my master's thesis. And then... That was, um, I went to work on the East Coast for a couple of years in golf construction. And then when there was an opportunity to go with, work with Mike, he called up and he says, you know, what do you think about moving back to Ohio? And I said, how fast can I get there? I just kind of convinced my wife that, you know, <laughs> who is, you know, from the East Coast, that this was a great place to live. So we started in 96, or I started in 90, yeah, 96, 95 or 96. And, um, you know, I lose track of time, I guess it was 95. And, um, you know, I was there for 17 years until, 
you know, Mike wanted to slow down a little bit and you know, was working with Chris and, and so Dana and I are off on our world endeavors now. Yeah. Kent, you're from Northeast Ohio and you spent your entire career in Northeast Ohio until five years ago. What, what was it like at that point in your career uh, picking up and moving down to Southern Ohio? And I think for our listeners that don't understand, Southern Ohio is really not much like Northern Ohio. Uh, it was very difficult. Uh, I was there in Northeast Ohio for 42 years. Um, so in hindsight, I guess it's a good thing I didn't know how hard it was when yeah. I went to do it because it's difficult to pick 42 years up and move. But I was looking for a change. Uh, the 36 whole thing was appealing to me. The bigger canvas yeah. was appealing to me. Um, the different area, different market, you know, all those things have appealed to me. And uh, I, early in my career, I said I'd never worked south of Columbus, Ohio. It, when this came up, I, I just sort of changed that thought. And, <laughs> and while the summers are a whole different beast, mm-hmm. uh, as I get older, I sort of appreciate the more mild winters and 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 liked the longer golf season. And that was one of the things, aside from not believing that you could have the playing conditions uh, south of Columbus that you can can have north of Columbus. That you know that was one of the driving forces. But also, you know, when we work 120 days straight, who wants to move south and work 134? So. That was, but as my kids got older and that became easier, you know, I, I thought, well, I can move south, and they're they're self sufficient now. They, for the most part, probably don't even like me anymore. But it, it just gave me the, the the confidence to do that 135 day stretch and without any issue uh, with their age. So we did it, and and I kind of like the longer golf season. You know, the, it, it enables me to play more, so uh, that's a good thing. And while it's longer, there's a, a great portion of it where, you know, your stress level's down to a point where you can play. So, so later in September, you know, I have the freedom that, to play some golf and, you know, I'm not locked down to babysitting this place. And in October, it's great. And you get some days in November that are yeah. equally as good. And I know there was snow on the ground while we were out today, but uh, I've played some really good golf in November and then. Even in December, spring rolls around, and mm-hmm. and that's earlier, and you're swinging the club earlier before you get to that stressful, stressful time. Jason Kent just gave us some insight into the pace of his job. What, what's the pace of your job like for people that don't understand? You're you're all over the place. You're you're running a business, and you're also hands on with your design projects. Give it give us some insight into your your job. So I think that there's different philosophies, you know, in terms of how you run a business and how hands-on you are, uh, you know, on the design aspect of it. So that's one of the things that Dana and I always aspire to is that, you know, that he and I, one of the two of us, are always involved in every step of the way. So, you know, especially when it comes time to construction, you know, when we're on a domestic project or something in North America, I mean, we're on site no matter where it's at every, you know, every week. Um, you know, here it's been on average every, you know, twice a week. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll book in trips, you know, so I'll come here at the beginning of the week, I'll fly around for the you know middle of the week, and then I'll finish here and drive home like I am tonight. Um, but, you know, right now I'm on track for well over 200 days, you know, of travel, you know, for the year. So it's, you know, running a company, you know, in a cottage industry is not, you know, it's not the easiest thing. It's very rewarding, but yeah, it's an enormous amount of work, you know, but 
there's a certain level of client dedication that we're committed to. We don't need every job. We're not the best fit for you know everybody. So we're fortunate to be you know at a point in our career where that we can be a little pickier and mm-hmm. look for them you know special projects, whether it's because of location or the piece of property or the people that we work with or a different culture. You know, so those are all things you know from a I guess from a selfish standpoint, if you will, you want to call it that. You know, you're looking for the most re- personally rewarding projects. Yeah. So you two didn't know each other until a few years ago, and now you spend multiple days per week with each other. What is it like uh, seeing this relationship start and evolve? Oh, I'm a better golfer to begin with. That's not true because we, <laughs> we played a match last year, and while I would never claim to be any good, uh, I believe I won. It was like so <laughs> he has a bad memory. See, that's yeah, the, that's the downside. It. That's yeah. not true. We actually play very similar golf. It's called a big sweeping hook. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the beauty of this business. You don't know somebody, and then all of a sudden, you become almost a kindred spirit with him or her. Yeah, it, it, it's been good. Some of my other experiences weren't as. Good or nearly, or even close, to be honest with you. But just from day one, the professionalism, um, the sales pitch uh, to the club, and the confidence that the club gained, and or that I saw with the architect and the in the field portion of it, of working to get a concept and and seeing and putting forth the effort to get it, and and it's just been fantastic. Yeah, no, hundred, hundred percent. Like I said, I mean, it's that working together to get to that, you know, end goal. Mm-hmm. You know, I blessed to work with a lot of really, you know, uh, wonderful. You know, we say superintendents, but I mean, they're people, right? I think it takes a certain person to become a superintendent to begin with. You know, but when you have a passion for, um, you know, for the game of golf, first off, for working with people, you know, you don't. You don't get to be as successful as somebody like Kent, you know, if you don't have a passion for working with people and staff and the members. Where somebody like Dan or I fit into that, you know, becomes very easy, you know, because, you know, his his professionalism and personal rapport with people has already been established. So, well, this was awesome. We've never done a Tartan Talks quite like this. Not only um, do we have the superintendent and the golf course architect on, we did it on site. So there were a lot of moving parts. And this is different than us sitting in our studio in Northeast Ohio. So Kent and Jason, we really appreciate it. And good luck with the, the rest of the project. And hopefully maybe we get a chance in a year from now and come back and tell the, the after of the story. All right. Play again. <laughs> it's, and see, the, the challenge has been laid down now, guys. So now you have to be the impartial judge. So when the golf course opens... So we're going to have our match, right? So it's the architect-superintendent match now. So, you know, we're going to – I don't know what we're going to play for, but we'll have to play for something. Well, like Kent, I'm a former caddy, and I will carry a double for that match. Oh, all right. That sounds fascinating. There you go. Next year, there you go. Well, well, thanks a lot, and uh, good luck. Thanks, Guy. We appreciate it. Thank you.